This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts Podcast with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. I met the actress Cynthia Nixon when we were both cast in one of the first HBO series called Tanner 88 in a project being directed by the great Robert Altman, written by cartoonist Gary Trudeau. We became fast friends, not just because I adored her as a human being and could not believe how talented she was, but also because... She took me under her wing in a way that exposed me to the kind of generosity and kindness that could be found on a set, and in some ways has never been matched quite the same way since. Cynthia had been acting since she was a young person. I hadn't started until post-college, so this was all very new to me. And the way she conducted herself, not just with her professionalism, but by being kind and generous and inquisitive about every person we met along the way. It is not lost on me that that was a series where a candidate was running for president and Cynthia played the candidate's daughter, and she was often confused for a real candidate's daughter because of the way she could speak in this spontaneous fashion about every single topic, every political subject that came up already at the young age of 19 or 20, which she was at the time. Cynthia is an extraordinary actress with more awards than most, but the fact that she is now throwing her hat in the ring to become governor of New York, the state that she loves almost as much as she loves her own children, 
is really something I am in awe of and watching her negotiate all that it takes to throw your hat in the ring of politics. The way she is doing it with dignity and grace and passion and honesty and her willingness to give up what most would consider one of the most extraordinary careers of the theater, film, and television possible makes it all the more inspiring. Anyway, I bring you a conversation with Cynthia Nixon, my friend, my inspiration. Enjoy. Cynthia Nixon is my guest today. Hello, everybody. And I could go on and on about her resume. But I think at this point, the magnificent thing about Cynthia Nixon is the resume sort of exists and speaks for itself. What people don't know. And that's what Google is for. That's what Google. That's why God made Google. God made Google. (laughs) We're going to talk about religion in a little while. Okay. But I want to talk about yesterday. Yes. Yesterday, you and I, after you had sushi for the first time in a long time, went to see Barry Child. Yes. A Sam Shepard play that we both realized while watching it, we thought maybe we had seen, but in fact, we had not. I think a Pulitzer Prize winning play, like a really important American play. Yes. Neither of us had seen it. So in a way, as, as ashamed as I was about that, I also felt like, oh my God, but we're getting to see it the first time together. And that was meaningful. The thing I always love to do with you, maybe more than with anyone else on the planet, is talk about what we just saw together. I feel like People don't do that anymore. They go over so quickly on to the next, and I feel like it's part of your religion. It is part of my religion. You know, and and the thing about it is, you know, I feel like this is a segue into an important part of me, right? Which is that my mother had me late, late for the time that she was living in the 60s. She was 36 when she had me. I was her only child. She wasn't planning on having children. I'm an only child, and she was an only child, Mm -hmm. and my father was an only child. You know, there was not a lot of, um, you know, my childhood that was kid stuff. There was a lot of, like, you're five now. Let's go see Stacey Keach in Hamlet. You know, there was a lot of of movies and plays. Mm -hmm. And... Partly maybe because I was way too young (laughs) for these things that I was seeing, but also because I think it was what my mother loved to do, we would go. But that was what we had to talk about. Right. We didn't talk about our feelings. No. We didn't talk about my imaginary friends. We talked about both of our imaginary people that we'd seen up on stage. And I started directing, you know, having been an actor since I was 12, I started directing, you know, maybe two years ago. And I felt like I was actually, I, I, I'm not really good at trying new things. I'm, not, I'm I like to stay in my comfort zone of things that I know I can do really well. Okay. Because another thing that my, neither of my parents were really any good at was sort of sitting there through, through children learning, right? And so I was expected to sort of do something well or like, oh, you know. <laughs> right. Don't the, – the, the, the learning process was really not a, not a happy place and we just sort of avoided well, it. Well, thank goodness you were a natural student. Yes, that's true. And or, I, or were you? Yeah. I mean I feel like, uh, you know, my wife Christine still um, – like I'm having my 50th birthday and I've invited one of my 
teachers and you know Christine is you know like some people would find it distasteful <laughs> to see their spouse around like an ex lover right to see right. that kind of you know bl- you know breath quickening blood you right. know flowing it's awkward that kind of like oh hi I haven't seen you in so long right that's for- the way I am around my teachers <laughs> so Wait, Mr Bratsby's is here I know that would have been she, mine she, Mr just, she just would be mine Mr Bratsby's Mr Bratsby's at what age was this I was in sixth grade. Ah, an important time. An important year. In math. In math. I digress. You are having right, no, a birthday. So, Your teacher is coming. My teacher is coming. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and, and Christine is like, oh, my, you know, really? Really? <laughs> and it's not so much that she, you know, doesn't see the appropriateness of, you know, on I'm turning 50 on my 50th birthday of having all these people there right. from, who are important in my life. life but she just of. doesn't want to see me around this person who shall not be named. Well, we won't name him, but but her, 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 her she yeah. will not be named. But I, who will have the great fortune of being at that soiree, will carefully watch. You'll scope her I out, see, right? Well, also just to see, like Cynthia's acting really weird. <laughs> She's not being herself. Why is she talking like that? Why, does she Why is she sweating? Dabbing her forehead like <laughs> Why that. Is she? Do you have big feelings or thoughts about turning fifty? Is it something I, I that really don't. you care about? When mm. we're, are you a big birthday celebrator in general? You know, I feel like before my wife came into my life, I was raised in a in a fairly puritanical way. I guess, like very not not sexually, actually not sexually at all puritanically, but in terms of frugality, right, and working hard, right, and and that I think the way I was raised was, you know, you would never spend more money on anything than you absolutely have to, right, you know. I feel like in the narrative of your particular journey as an actress, your mother loomed so large so in that large. history. A, yeah. because she had been an actress. B, because she seems to have been quite a natural director. Well, this as is well. what I was. This is what I was sort of making my way to say before, which was that when I started directing, you know, pretty recently and pretty late in my life, um, I felt like I just had a, a such an aptitude for it, and it felt so natural to me. And I realized that, in some ways, I'm not really a like you meet people. And they just seem like a born performer. Hmm. And I have certain aspects that are like that, but many aspects not. And I feel like when I was younger, my family, there wasn't the, – the place for emotions in my family was not very clear. And right. so I think when I was really – when I was a, a, an early teenager and, and a teenager, I think that a lot of my pent-up emotion would, would come out in roles and I would get to cry or yell. But then you would get accolades right. for that. And paid. And paid and – right. I don't know. I think that in some ways the, the, the most important part of my personality is I'm a planner. Right. I'm always trying to think four steps ahead and what am I doing next week and what what are we going to be having for dinner? And do you know what I mean? It's like I'm not I'm not by any means a person who plays chess and thinks ahead, you know, like in that intellectual way. It's not strategic necessarily. It's not strategic, but it's practical. So 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 what so what I'm trying to say is I think, you know, one of the most important things about being an actor and maybe one of the most important things about being a human is to be in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm not all that an in the moment kind of a person. So how I'm too do busy you... planning. And right. so in a way, that's a director. 
right? And I feel like all of these years from a, like a tiny, tiny, tiny little age. You know, my mother tells a story about when I was three, she took me to The Sound of Music, which is like three and a half hours at Radio City, you know, grand palatial movie palace. And she was worried. It was like the first movie I'd ever seen. And she was worried I, you know, wouldn't have the attention span. And she, apparently I turned to her when the movie was over. And I said, no more? Right? Right. So she was like, I'm in. Wow. <laughs> so my question for you is, where does your dad fit in to this narrative? And how they, old were you when they got divorced? Well, you know, that's the funny thing about my parents. They were sort of bohemian, and they were very proud of their bohemianness. And so they actually didn't get divorced. Okay. And they separated when I was six, after having been married for 15 years. But then they didn't actually get divorced until I was in college when my father decided to retire to Mexico. And he thought, if I die out of the country and I'm still married to this person, you know, the legal, the wills and it's all going to be confusing. Let me get divorced so that he's a planner. I mean, he's if, if I'm a planner and my mother's a planner, my father was the super, super, super planner. So much so, you know, to the point of actually I, I, I see ways in which it – you know, prevents me from from being in the moment. But my my, I think my father's goal in life was to do everything he could not to be in the moment. Because my parents were old, and because they had me, like my mother was thirty six, my dad was forty four. Which at the time to have a child, like right. my mother would clip articles out of the paper about Cary Grant, be like, he's old and See? he's a dad, and look how happy he is. Right. My picture of him, this could be completely made up. I I feel like he always loomed. Large is this like Ernest Hemingway sort of character in my mind. Is there any truth to that in terms of if he were cast in a movie, what would he the was actor? Very, you never met my dad. No, he, he was, was in very, Mexico he from was the very time handsome. I met you. He sort of looked like Peter O'Toole a little bit. He always oh. had a mustache. And he served in World War II. And then he got married to a woman in Texas. Um, her name was Laura. And they had two children. I think they had a very... Very combative marriage. My father was a very angry, combative person, and I think his first wife was too. So you have two half siblings. I do have two half siblings. Did you know about them growing up? I did know about them because shortly before my parents separated, when I was, I guess, probably five, the younger of the two came out east, as they say in Texas, came out east right. to go to Harvard, and he was not in touch with my father. Because my father, my father basically left Texas and left his family, and his way, his his thought about doing that was to take all the money he had and take half of it and give half of it to them, and then they got divorced. And my father was was chronically unemployed and was really terrible at paying his child support, and he was almost always thrown in jail a, a bunch of times. So finally, things got so strained between him and his ex-wife, understandably, because, I mean, she was totally struggling on her own, that really the contact was lost. Did he reestablish a connection with those children when he was older or not? You know, I think his, know? Ol his older son, Larry, was too angry, mm -hmm. whereas Randy was three. And he kept thinking there was a great dad out there somewhere and that what his mom was telling him about that man wasn't true. So all during our lives, Randy kept trying at different points to reestablish contact with us. So did you guys ever get so a then, chance so to then, sit and talk about it? And could you fill in gaps for him? It's very hard. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard. It's obviously a major thing in his life. As it, How could it not be? And when my dad was dying... Randy 
got Larry, his older brother, to come. And uh, actually, my dad is not really good at talking about his feelings or, you know, talking about anything emotional. But he did try to apologize to them. And he said, you know, I, I, you, you guys have, have made such, you know, such impressive lives for yourself professionally and personally. And, you know, I know that I was not that none of that is due to me, you know, right. and, and that in, it's really in spite of me. Right. And I just hope you feel so proud of that. And I'm so proud of you. Right. And um, and he said, and I'm just so sorry I wasn't there, you know, to write. And, um, and I think Larry, my older brother, who was the most angry of the two, said, yeah, it was kind of like a boy called Sue. <laughs> Which, if you know that country western song, which of course is a perfect thing to say to my dad because he loves Shel Shel Silverstein and right. he loves like it's the perfect it's country, but it's New York intellectual version of country, right? You know, it, it, you know, it's the story is about a, a a man who abandons his little son, and but first he gives him a girl's name so that everywhere he goes, the, the boy will have to fight for himself and will learn to be a fighter. Yeah. Which is why after we saw Buried Child yesterday, I was like, I am a Jewish girl from Teaneck, <laughs> and there is nothing other than maybe someone I once knew had a couch like that. <laughs> and you were like, mm, no. Yeah, there's... a little bit like my dad sitting on the couch <laughs> yeah. coughing with his emphysema. Yes. So how did you decide to raise your children Jewish? Well, I feel like growing up, so there were so many Jewish kids that were my social set and they were the, kind of the best of my social set. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, Danny, I think, could not imagine having his children and not raising them Jewish. And I, I didn't have any problem with that. So yeah. now you have a third child yes. with your wife, yes, Christine, who did not grow up Jewish. Right. Is Max going to be raised differently he you know i mean i think so so we have our our last child max with uh, a a male couple right with two gay men um one of whom is the donor and one of whom is the partner of the donor and we don't really distinguish and one of those guys is jewish i want to segue to a different topic completely yes which does have to do with rituals Uh but less religious yes although the theater could be considered our religion yes at the same time this is a very clunky segue i don't know that people are aware that you have uh, almost maybe you think i'm flattering you but sort of an encyclopedic memory as well as knowledge of musical theater this is a great passion of yours. it is a great passion um arguably my greatest passion i would say that this is a little known fact that people may not know about you <laughs> so growing up were you like with the album cover reading the lyrics within yes. listening to musicals well you know but I, you know at the time you know they didn't even have the the lyrics you know that's a kind of a later sondheim thing because i'm i'm there with the album of like right. promises i can promises. picture a chorus line when i think of my own. But there's no, but there's no lyrics, right? No, you're but, just right, holding it, just holding the album, right? And right. the story of, and, and there's the story of, the there's story a synopsis. Of. Sometimes there's a note by the composer. I mean, I'm picturing you in your room. There's the hair album. There's probably, did you have nine? Of you know, did I you didn't have, all have of hair. I didn't have hair. No, you see, you see, you're a little later than me, because I also inherited a lot of my mother's favorites. Is that My Fair Lady and Camelot? My Fair Lady, yes. My mother's not a fan of Camelot, really, really. But yes, we had Camelot. She always says, you know, if Ma's heart hadn't died, he could have made that a good show. But he died in the middle. Yes, uh, uh, My Fair Lady definitely um, promises, promises. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Mm. 
big, big one for me. Um, wonderful town, South Pacific. But almost the most important one, Annie Get Your Gun. Annie Get Your Gun is sort of that Promises, Promises and Charlie Brown are kind of the... The soundtrack of your childhood when you yes. think about... So do you have pre-show rituals? No. Do you have any superstitions? I mean, I have to say, I used to have stage fright like at the very first preview and then I'd be fine. Right. But but as I've gotten older, like in my mid... You see, in my 40s, I got more stage frighty. Um, and so one of the things that I can't bear now, and I think I would be better, well, it's, it's getting better, but one of the things I can't bear is to stand off stage and wait. Oof. I hate that. And it's not anything, it's pure animal fear. It, there's not anything I'm literally afraid of. I'm just terrified and I have a hard time holding my ground and not bolting. Right. So, so what I do, like when I was doing wit, yeah. when I was forty-seven or eight, something seven, I can't remember. They were really great about that, and even without my having to really say it to them, the stage managers were very intuitive about it. And I had to basically come downstairs in my shaved head and my baseball cap, and my little horrible. Uh, hospital gown, and they had to quickly attach me to an IV pole. However, they did that. I don't even remember now. Oh, they really did. They really put the <laughs> needle punct- in your arm. They would puncture right every night. Method. But what they would do is they would have it really. They wouldn't call me until they were actually literally ready to go. So you were not at places ten minutes before. So places right. So was- I kind of stepped. I I kind of came backstage. They hooked me up, and they. And that, and, and I the just, show and I barely, I barely slowed down. Do you know what I mean? Maybe I would wait for twenty seconds, but I, yeah, that was not true earlier in your career. Not at all. And I remember one time, I don't know, I don't know. I remember one time when I did my very first Broadway show when I was fourteen. Blythe Danner was the leading lady, and I just worshipped her. The Philadelphia, the story. Philadelphia story, right? And. Um, I was on at the very top of the show, Blythe and I and Meg Mundy, who was playing our mother. We were sibling sisters. And um, we arrived at places, and it was 8 o'clock, and the house was strangely all in place. And so the stage manager was like, okay, we're going up. It's 8 o'clock, and we're going up. Now, no show on Broadway. I mean, no show goes up at 8 o'clock. Every show goes up at 8. 8.05, yeah, you know. And Blythe Danner was so hilarious. She was like... There is no show in New York that goes up at 8 o'clock. I am going back to my room. Please call me at 8.05. <laughs> That's right. It was Tell just, him. It was just hilarious. Oh, my God. There's so many things I want to say. First of all, well, we can talk about auditioning in a minute. I'm sure you probably... I still Forgive audition. Of Do course, you? Of course I still audition. Not for theater. I auditioned for a casting director the other day, honey. <laughs> well, I <laughs> They put think, me on tape. Listen to me. I'm she she now, was like, hey, you're good. <laughs> I am now going to be your agent. I'm sorry. Because there's not a lot I'm No, sure the of. director wasn't in New York. And right. I hate putting myself on tape. I hate it. Right. So I would rather. Go in a room and have a casting director do it. Give me feedback and film me and I don't have to. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I can't imagine that that's true in the theater. I imagine at this point you've done enough <gasps> roles that you wouldn't have to read. I, I right. Think I don't are more have to. I don't built have around to, you. Right. Now. I don't have to read for things in the theater. Although I did some years ago, and I think this would still be the case. Like 
I can't really sing, but I have had a couple of musical auditions because no one would ever cast me in a musical without hearing me I sing. Remember and, and actually, Boo. actually, after having sung, no one has cast me in a musical after so have, having heard me That's sing. That's weird. But, yeah. I don't think that should be true. First of all, I've seen you sing in a benefit. Yeah, no, I you believe, don't. If you have a show, you don't want me singing in that show. I remember in the last night of Ballyhoo, the Alfred Urey play that I replaced you yes. in. There was a little bit of singing at the top of the show. Lala Levy is uh, the show opens and she's decorating the Christmas tree. Should she sing a Christmas carol? Yes, I can't even and remember. I believe and and this is one of the only times I went up on stage. And forgive me, I may be misremembering the carol because yes. the Levines did not sing many of them, so I don't have like a whole bevy of them in my mind. Right. But I believe the lyric was fa la 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 <laughs> la 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 la. And I went up. Wow. <laughs> it was like the only time I've gone up on stage. And, and did thought, you just go like, I had a little dreidel. <laughs> Hanukkah, Hanukkah. But I thought this is this is a very scary moment. And there's the story of the understudy who they're like, you're on. And she's like, okay. And literally they they go back to the dressing room and the window is open and she's gone out of the window and back to Idaho and never been heard from again. So you were saying that you do still audition. I do. Do you have thoughts about auditioning, I advice do. I about a, auditioning? I have a lot of thoughts about auditioning. Tell me what comes to mind. Well, I guess... Do you enjoy it? I, I really do enjoy it. I don't enjoy it all the time. Um, this one for the casting director, I yes. really did not have a great time at that one. Okay. Was there singing? Was there singing No, involved? there was just a lot of comedy. All right. Ugh, comedy is hard. Comedy, comedy, comedy. But I do like in, uh, auditioning. And I, I have to say, I do have a lot of opinions about it. Three things, I guess. One is that your audition is only, unless you're superwoman, your audition is only as good as the people in the room. Like, you can't go into a horrible room of bored, closed-down bureaucrats disguised as directors and casting directors and producers right. who have no receptiveness about them right. and try and break through that. It's almost impossible. You're only as good as the person you're dancing with. So if you have one of those experiences, just do your best to remember it's not you. It's like you had a bad sexual experience. You know how you are in bed. You're right. not bad in bed. Right. It wasn't you, honey. Right. So let yourself off the hook if you have an experience like that. But also do your best to be prepared but to then be in the moment because the thing that a director is looking for, they're looking for someone who's right for the part, first of all, that's vaguely the right age, that's vaguely the right temperament, that would go well with the other people that they have already cast and are planning of ca and casting. But also they're looking at someone who can respond to direction. So it's like if you walk in there and you all alone do your A minus and then they give you direction and you do the exact same A minus, you probably won't do as well as someone who goes in there with a B minus and then takes an adjustment and then goes up to an A minus because you think like I can have an effect on this person and this person will hear me. Right. And the other thing I want to say is the hard thing about an audition is we care so much and we feel like particularly if, you know, we don't have a lot of them, which most of us, we don't have a lot of them. And the older we get, we get for right. women, we get less and less right. of them. So we feel like it has to really, we have to make it count. Right. You know, the thing about it is it's so 
uninteresting to watch someone come into a room and be nervous. Do you still get nervous? I do still get nervous. I just try and do the work, but I also try and I, I try and remember that I I would really probably like this job that I'm auditioning for, mm-hmm. but they would also really like to find someone. You have the film James White, which just came out, which is a really powerful film about a mother-son relationship. Uh, the son is sort of a reckless New York character. The mother is uh, a slightly bohemian woman who is dying of cancer, uh, which was a very powerful thing for me to watch since your own mother had very recently, before you started shooting this, died of cancer. Um, It was a very powerful performance. I felt really blown away by how committed you were to the role, how ravaged uh, you were by the illness in the film and how without vanity you approach this character. And it was kind of a stunning juxtaposition as I watched it and thought of you as Miranda Hobbs in Sex and the City and what a huge departure it was as a character. You know, there's so much I have in common with that character and there's so much my I, my mother has in common with that character um, that it felt so – it really did feel like a second skin. It really felt – I felt so comfortable. And the way they – you know, the environment on set was also very – you know. But but I think that, the, you know, it's interesting you use the word vanity because I actually think that maybe of of a lot of the people that I've played, the women that I've played, I think for me Gail's vanity – was a little more I was a little more in touch with it than I was with other characters. I feel like Miranda, first of all, she's young. She doesn't she didn't seem young right. when I was playing it, but right. she's young. She looks great. Whatever. Right. Um and she has all these clothes. But I also feel like in a way, Miranda doesn't actually have any interest in clothing or jewelry or makeup. But the thing about Gail was she was dying, she was dying young. She was single. She was feeling, I think, very bereft not to have a lover, not to have a husband, feeling like her her son in some way was like her her husband lover her substitute in, yeah. in her boyfriend in a way that she knew was inappropriate, but she didn't know what else. She was desperate. Right. And I think her her loss of her own femininity, at, do you know what I mean? I think she was really – you know, putting on wigs because she'd lost her hair. And, and wore beautiful jewelry. And, jewelry and yeah. you know, and, and, and her cl- even her clothing. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't in any way, obviously, Sex in the City couture. You know, that movie really touched me, uh, James White, also, because I'm terrified of dying. Yes, me I too. I think about me it all too. the time. Me too, yeah. And I remember at your mom's funeral, her boyfriend talking about with such – Clarity and certainty, because I could not believe what I was hearing and uh, how beautiful yeah, it was, which yeah. was someone who had complete certainty that although this moment in their relationship of these two people on this planet had ended, he had no doubt that they would have other lives together yeah. and come together in other ways that they had been together before and right. that they would be together again. Right. I yearn for that desperately yeah. in my life to to really make peace with whatever comes next. Yeah. Have you ever had a kind of experience Not, like that? No, but my mother saw a couple of people and one of them was I don't know if they were looking at her hand or car, car something. 
And they they were telling her things that all of these things that the woman was telling her seemed totally on mark, like amazingly so. And then they said, the person said, and then at this point you had an affair. This is when she was married to my dad. And my mom was like, no. And the woman kept saying, yeah, 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 you had an affair like around this point, and, you know. And she kept saying, and finally, and, and, and the woman was so adamant. And my mother thought if she was more of a fake, she would get off this because I've told her over and over again, I, you know. And the woman was like, okay. And then she went on and she told her more stuff. And then the woman back, she said, oh, or you could have had a child. Did you have a child? And my mom said, oh, yeah. Oh, she said, oh, that's what it is. Sometimes, sometimes a child wow. can look like a love affair. Wow. So in some ways, I was the affair, right, yeah. that got my mom out of her bad but that marriage. Is, that is what having yeah. children is, yeah. in a way. Before we go, when is A Quiet Passion, the Emily so Dickinson So A Quiet Passion, right, out? the Emily Dickinson movie, it premiered in Berlin whenever that was, I guess in February, maybe. Um, so you did was, the movie in German. We, we Imagine just, if you just did it whatever language. It's going to be, oh, okay. You're going to Berlin, everybody? <laughs> but, you know, um, Greta yeah. Garbo did that and Marlena Dietrich, too. They would do an English language version and a German version at the same time on two different sets. That's now gotten into Toronto, so it'll be in the Toronto Film Festival. But also they're thinking maybe it's going to be in the New York Film Festival. So we're waiting to hear on that. I can't wait to see it. That's very And exciting. the Adderall Diaries is coming out, which is a small part, but. And yeah. what, what is, uh, before we go, is there a play on the horizon? There is not a play on the horizon. I'm looking for something um, to direct. You know, I'm reading some things. Um, I'm connected to this movie called The Evening Hour. And I'm actually connected to a film called, um, it's either going to be called Columbia or Columbia, Missouri. They don't know yet. And it's a tremendous, I'm very excited about it. It's um, Dennis O'Hare, the actor has written it. Nice. And he's also in it. And he and Amy Ryan and I play uh, a brother and two sisters. Um, Brian Dennehy is our dad. Paul Giamatti is our brother-in-law. Um, and it is actually a story, a true story, about his sister's suicide in 2010. And uh, Anna Paquin is playing his sister... And she's also producing it, and we we barely see her, so it's it's kind of a very selfless. So you're thing the for an surviving siblings. We're the surviving siblings, and it's a kind of. I know this is a weird, sounds weird, but it, it's true. It's it's kind of like Little Miss Sunshine. It's sort of like a dysfunctional family on a road trip. It's all of us convening where she died and trying to go through her stuff and try and get through this experience. And there's actually a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of sort of. Irish American Catholic gallows humor. That sounds wonderful. It's really yeah. And Stephen Moyer, who's Anna Paquin's husband, is I love him. Is, I is directing him. it. That's great. Yeah. So I have eight million more questions to ask you. Will you come back? I would be one delighted. more time. I would be delighted. There to come are. Back. I mean, we didn't talk about Altman or Nichols or any right. of those great right. father right. directors. Right. Um, we didn't talk about. Um, you know, de Blasio, we didn't talk about public school. Should I opt out my son from statewide testing? Do you have a quick yes or no on that? I, I would not. But, but you know, I have no argument with people who do. Okay. I love you so much. <laughs> I, I love feel you. I'm so lucky to have had this time with you. Thank you for being here.
I'm Alana Levine. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review our show in the iTunes show page. Little Known Facts is recorded at the Hangar Studios in New York City. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.